Welcome to Bitcoin Magazine Live's 33rd live show, I think. Great. Yeah, it's great to have you guys all with us today. We're here with Mark Moss. Very excited to have this interview. I've got my co-host Q here. A few housekeeping notes before we get started. Bitcoin 2022 conference. It's going to be huge. Uh, We're all going to be there speaking, running around. Come talk to us. Come, you know, come take a picture, hang out, learn about Bitcoin network. If you're looking to leave your fiat job and get uh, find work in the Bitcoin space, there's no better place to do it. So many startups have begun at Bitcoin conferences, and this is the biggest one yet with 35,000 plus people in attendance. Tickets are scarce, but you can get 10% off uh, with promo code YTMAG at checkout. So make sure you go get your tickets today. When you guys buy tickets while we're live on air, we find out we make it rain sats in the chat. So if you guys want some free Bitcoin back, just go get your conference tickets and we will drop those codes in the chat and on screen. I think we have a short ad read from Q and then we'll get started here. We do. And then I'm also going to share a story about uh, Mark Moss from Bitcoin 21 that I doubt he remembers, but ah, um, nice. <laughs> um, so if you're interested in exploring the many worlds, worlds of Bitcoin with thought leaders from the space, how about meeting Bitcoiners from your city and throughout the US? Maybe you're seeking an exciting new job with a Bitcoin company. What about orange pilling your best friend? This is what Bitcoin Day is all about. Curious Bitcoiners coming together, learning, sharing, and talking Bitcoin all day long. Bitcoin Day events have limited seats so you don't get lost in the crowd, but rather than ha- rather ha- have meaningful interactions with speakers and participants. Learn about personal and financial sovereignty, security and privacy, mining, the Lightning Network, and many other topics. The next Bitcoin Day will be held in Sacramento on February 19th, so book your tickets at bitcoinday.io today before the event is sold out. Everyone deserves a Bitcoin Day. And also on the topic of Bitcoin conference, as Alex mentioned, it's an awesome networking event. You get to meet some of your favorite thought leaders in the space. Mark, I had the pleasure of coming up to you in line while you were waiting for coffee just to say hello and thank you for the work that you were doing. You helped teach me a ton and here I am getting to talk to you. So this is uh, this is pretty awesome, man. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, that's so awesome. Man, the conference is so good. I can't wait to go back. So uh, everybody that's listening, I mean, if you're on the fence, like pull that trigger. I, I was there in 2019 and San Francisco was pretty cool. But I mean, last year, Miami was just insane. And um, the one thing I would just say about that is, uh, yeah, getting to meet all kinds of people, you know, like you uh, just randomly throughout everywhere. But um, man, it's like almost like electricity. It's like electricity. Like it's the the vibe that's going on is so strong. And, and uh, really what kind of... Sh- really made me think about this last year was that especially more than ever today and this is a lot of things that i talk about but more than anything today we're seeing the leaders whoever they are right the leaders trying to really divide us on identity politics right and so um, now we supposedly we align on race or sex or gender or preference or whatever it is uh, but it's wrong it's not it's not 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 the way the world works we align on shared values and so as Bitcoiners at Bitcoin, I think it was whatever, 15,000 people last year or whatever it was, 12,000 people, all different races and sexes and genders and whatever it was, we were all there because we aligned on values. And we didn't just align on any values. We aligned on the highest values, the highest values. And because of that, it was just like this electric electricity in the air that you could just feel 
And uh, it was amazing. And I was like, I was like on a high for like a week afterwards. And so anyway, super excited to get back. Uh, I mean, you're not wrong. Everyone who goes there was very much uh, aligned. Everyone wanted the same things. It was a, it was a great experience. I mean, I'm sure you were around or in the room when Mallers announced the El Salvador news. I mean, I, I continue to say that is just one of those moments in my life. I will always remember where I was, who I was sitting next to, and just like the environment and feeling. Um, yeah. Talk to us a little bit, like what are what are some of the values about Bitcoin that like really drew you in? Like, what are the, some of those values for yourself? Well, for me personally, what really drew me in was that um, I grew up in a very, uh, let's just say, political home. My parents were kind of grassroots political, conservative, South Texas. And um, even to this day, politics is something that's just discussed around our table. My grandfather was a World War, uh, you know, decorated World War II vet. My father was a Vietnam vet, flew jets. And I was born into, uh, my dad was still in the Air Force at the time when I was born. And so it's just, you know, I just figured I'd go to war one day. That's just how I figured that was my genealogy, my line. And um like I said, we're, we still talk about politics to this day, even with my extended family um, and even with my own family. After 2008, I'm not going to give you my whole story. Most, most people have probably heard it, but I mean, I made a lot of money and then I lost a lot of money and it sucked really bad. And um, that uh, Mike, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson's, uh, you have a plan to get punched in the face. So I got punched in the face and the gut and I got kicked in the nuts at the same time. And um, it made me go like, what the heck is going on? And so, you know, the deeper the pain, like the more motivation you have to go to figure this out. And so I had to go figure out what was going on. I made a, I was really good at making money. But I didn't understand this whole financial casino that seemed to have effect over my life. And I had no idea what was going on or control over that. And so it forced me to just dig in. I was I, I vowed to myself, my family, this would never happen to me again. I was going to figure this out. Um, and the more that I started learning about the financial system, the more disillusioned I became. I became a gold bug, right? I figured like sound money is the answer. Um, then after 2012, um, uh, election, I was just done with politics. Like, there's no way we can affect change. I don't want to be a freedom fighter. I'm a surfer from Southern California. Like, I'll just be on a beach in Nicaragua surfing and fishing, and like, I'm done with this, right? And uh, that 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 was kind of my my uh, my mo. I, I told my wife, like, we're not connected enough to make it. Like, we're we're not. I'm not in on that club, and so we're out. I don't want to be on the freedom fighter. But I was. I'd been subscribed to a newsletter called Sovereign Man for about a, about a dozen years now at this point. And Sovereign Man was kind of the first guy that really started talking about this Plan B and passports and things like that. And and the premise is that obviously being a sovereign man, which we talk about that word a lot today. But the premise is that you wouldn't put all your life in one stock or you all your money in one stock. So why do you have all your life in one country? It's a very interesting concept. And after coming to 2008, I was very uh, shaken, uh, very gun shy about the whole banking system and all that. And so I was aggressively working towards setting up multiple banking jurisdictions. And I was literally in 2015, I had uh, hired an attorney in Panama to set up a bank account in Panama. And uh, I was trying to get money out of the system. And I took another look at Bitcoin and I was like, wait, that's the same thing. I can get my money out of the banking system. So I did. So I bought, that's when I bought Bitcoin for the first time. I'd been watching it for a couple of years, go up and down. And anyway, it took the plunge 2015, but that's when things change. So just like we always see with other people, once you buy a little bit, then you kind of start falling down that rabbit hole. And all of a sudden I realized this is the tool that we need. Like we actually have a tool to win. This changes everything. And so all that, you know, my life of thinking I would go to war and I wanted to change the world. And then all that disillusion I had on the whole system and just wanted to be checking out, it all came together when I got Bitcoin. I was like, this is it. This is the tool. Now we can actually win. 
and I got to go tell everybody I know about it uh, and scream it from the mountaintops. And so here I am, whatever, six, seven years later, uh, national, nationally syndicated radio show, podcast, YouTube, uh, speaking and doing everything I can, just trying to do it. And so it's, it's the tool that we have to win. Uh, the values that it has is obviously like self-sovereignty, right? And so once, it al- once I'm able to control my own property, um, it changes everything about my life. And so the way that I look at the entire world is just different. Of course, we, we know this. Um, you start looking at the world through orange colored lenses, right? And so all of a sudden, you see solutions to problems, you know, new solutions to problems, you know, self, it starts with self-sovereignty. It starts with having that long-term perspective. Um, it comes from a place of saving, but then, then when you get uh, that, that self-sovereignty, then you have more responsibility, right? And you want more freedom and you want to level up your life and you want other people to level up their lives. And uh, so those are the values, I guess, back to your original question. Sorry for the long answer. <laughs> no, I mean, to be honest, there's, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, I, I saw Alex's look of excitement when you brought up the, the sovereign newsletter you listened to, or do you, you've been reading. Uh, I almost want to ask Alex, do you also subscribe to this newsletter? It feels very in line with some of the things that you talk about. <laughs> I don't yet, but I'm going to. <laughs> that sounds awesome. The first thing I kind of want to unpack because Alex and I have gotten into this debate very often on the show about you know being all in on something versus not. And you brought up a very interesting concept where why are we all in on our country? Uh, what does like what does it look like to not be all in on the country you're in? Does that mean owning property elsewhere? Does it mean having a citizenship elsewhere? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it means all that, right? So it's the it's a spectrum, right? So there's a spectrum of sovereignty, and so uh, being sovereign means different things to different people. I would say it means that I have the right to direct my life as I see fit, without free of coercion. Some people would say sovereignty means that you can't be canceled, and and there's a, there's a spectrum to that. And so it's like, well, um, if I have to buy food, someone could cancel me, and so I'm not self sovereign unless I grow my own food, I guess, right? And so like, there's a spectrum to that. Um, the way that I look at it is that. It starts with the money, right? And so if I can control my own money, that's the best place. But we don't know exactly the way things are going to unfold. I project uh, based off of the, the, my three cycles thesis that I've been talking about quite a bit that I think the world continues to get worse for the next couple of years, unfortunately, and then it starts getting better. Uh, I think by the end of the decade, we're going to be in a really good place, but um, we don't know exactly how it's going to work out. There's a lot of uncertainty. I don't know what the laws will be in California in six months, for example. Right. I don't know if we'll be able to travel in six months. Like, who knows? Like, who, the, the world is so uncertain. And the way that we fight uncertainty is with optionality. Right. So, the more options I have, the better. So, what does it look like? I mean, it means all those things that you suggested. It starts with your money. So, now I have my money outside the banking system and I can take that money with me anywhere I go. Okay, that's step number one. But now, where would I go? <laughs> so uh, I'm building a house in Mexico right now. Um, I have a community that I've been building down there for a decade. I have a community I've been working with down in El Salvador now. If I need to go to El Salvador, I have a community I could plug in there. So I've built some communities that I can plug in with. I'm actively building a home in another country. I'm working on buying a, another condo, timeshare con, not a timeshare, uh, just a condo, do an Airbnb in another section of Mexico. Um, I also just bought a 12 and a half acre ranch outside of Austin. Um, I'm, I'm in Southern California right now, but I bought a 12 and a half acre ranch outside of Austin. So if I'm going to make my last stand, I'm going to be, be there. And um, so, so I have options, right? Uh, 
if if California gets too crazy and runs me out, then I got I got my ranch in Austin. If uh, the U.S. is too crazy, I can bounce to Mexico. If Mexico is bad, I could bounce to El Salvador. Um, and if it gets worse there, then I have enough money that I could probably go somewhere else. Um, so I can be sovereign with my food and my land and my energy and my my water here in the U.S. So anyway, I guess that's what it means to me. No, I, I love that, that it's not just a, a one track, it's all encompassing. And you're really thinking about, you know, every layer of your life, if you will. I want to, I want to ask you just sort of for those who have not had the chance. And if you haven't take the time to go on Mark's YouTube channel, like really, he really dives in excellently explaining these three cycles, but do you mind just like touching on it briefly, letting us, letting our viewers know a little bit uh, yeah. what this looks like and where you think we are in this cycle system? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people, well, okay. So first off we have like indicators. And so when you're looking at indicators, financial indicators, you're typically trying to find an indicator that tells you where things are going. The problem with indicators is they're not conclusive. You're looking for multiple indicators that tell you multiple things. Um, and so what I've done is a lot of people see that the financial system is really shaky. As a matter of fact, the IMF called for a Bretton Woods two moment which Bretton Woods one was when the entire financial system was reset globally. And so Bretton Woods two means reset the global system. Of course, Klaus Schwab's calling for the great reset. Uh, the leaders calling for the build back better. So we see that that's financially. Uh, we can also see politically uh, we're at a breaking point. We have people protesting all around the world. The truckers give it up Hong Kong for the people in Canada, uh, but all over the world. I mean, all through Europe, um, they're protesting. And then we have technology that's changing the world. And so we have all these different sectors and all these things that are changing. And I think a lot of people wonder like, what the heck is going on, right? Like, are the, are the protesters out there, the, are the Hong Kongers out there? Like, really, are they protesting vaccine mandates? In my opinion, the answer is no. What they're protesting is government overreach, right? And so um, while a lot of this looks random, a lot of people think what's going on today is like a black swan. Who would have ever known that a virus was going to come out and that this was going to happen? Like who could have ever guessed? This is a total black swan event. But I would say, no, that's not true. As a matter of fact, history tells us what's going on, and it, and it predicted that it was going to happen right now. And as a matter of fact, before the pandemic started, there was 10 countries with a mil, over 1 million people each already in the streets protesting before the mandates, or before the, even the, the pandemic. Um, so this was already going on. So real quickly, about every 84 years, there's what's called a populist uprising or a regime change cycle. So 84 years ago was the end of World War II. Hitler, Mussolini, FDR in the United States created the New Deal turned America from like a capitalist to a socialist nation. 84 years before that, Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, which led to the European Spring, the largest revolution that European ever had. Uh, quick side note, um, Alex Svetsky and I just um, locked ourselves in an Airbnb for about four days in Austin a couple of weeks ago. We took the Communist Manifesto and we rewrote it. And we wrote a book called The Uncommunist Manifesto, you can, uh, we're going to have them printed and we're going to have them at Bitcoin conference and we're going to be doing book signings there. We kept the same format. It's only four chapters. It's about 10,000 words. It's about a 45 minute to a 60 minute read. Anybody can do it. And we took the exact book and just flipped it into what we think it should be redefined the axis of struggle. Um, 
Uh, shout out, you can go to uncommonist.com and sign up for the pre-order of the book. We're going to sell it super cheap. We're just trying to get it out there. Uh, we want to infect minds just like the Communist Manifesto did. So anyway, that was 84 years ago. <laughs> Sorry for that quick side note. Uh, no, that's three. awesome. That I love these sprints that Bitcoiners are doing and getting out, just disseminating knowledge, producing books, selling them cheap. I love it. Yeah, we just, man, that book, that book just won't die. I mean, and we have, you know, the, the head of BLM is saying we're trained Marxist. Are you really? Do you know what Marxism really is? Have you ever taken the time to read the Communist Manifesto? Because I actually hadn't until about a year ago. And when I read it, I was like, how could anybody take this seriously? Like, this is pure evil. He says, uh, communism can be summed up in one sentence. This is what the book says, in one sentence, abolishment of private property. Wow, really? That's the whole book summed up? Uh, he says that uh, the, the bourgeoisie, which are the rich, they only have wives and kids for exploitation. That's the only reason. And women should be community property because they all treat them as community property anyway. Like, that's what he says in the book. Like, people are okay with that? Like, anyway, uh, that's the whole sidetrack. I, wonder, so, I genuinely wonder yeah. how that sat with his wife. Like, she'd probably, well, if he was... If he was married or maybe he was divorced shortly after writing that well, that's a that's, that's, that's actually an important question that you ask, actually, Q, because um, I think to understand Marxism, you have to understand Karl Marx. To understand Karl Marx, you have to understand where he came from and what his life actually was. And so to your point, he came from a very rich family. His parents, I think, were both attorneys, and they wanted him to follow in, his, in their footsteps and become rich and be attorneys. He didn't want to. He wanted to write philosophy. And he was mad. He was mad at the world that he couldn't survive writing philosophy because nobody valued that. And he got married to your point. He had married and he had kids and he was a horrible father. He couldn't provide for his family. I think at least one, I think maybe two of his kids died of like malnutrition. Like he couldn't provide for his family. He would leave for extended periods of time and just leave them on their own. And he was mad at the world that he couldn't provide for his family writing philosophy because nobody valued it. But um, so imagine that and that's the viewpoint of the person who wrote this book. Of course, he's mad at the rich. Why, why, why can't those rich people, they're good at making wealth. Why can't they just give me some of their wealth so I can just do what I want to do, which is make philosophy, even though nobody values that. And now you start to understand why socialism, why he wrote about it like that, right? It was also during the time of the Industrial Revolution. So the world was just coming from farms into cities and factories. And I would imagine at the beginning of that industrial revolution, there was a big shift in the world where people lived as like communal uh, on farms as families. And then they started working in factories. And then, you know, on a farm, my grandfather, my, my father grew up on a farm uh, on a farm, everybody works, right? The kids, the five-year-old kids are out there milking cows or whatever it is. And so you would imagine that when those farm families moved to the cities to work in factories, probably the whole family went to work in the factory as well, right? So the whole family was just there working because the whole family always worked. And then also I would imagine that um, it was probably pretty dangerous. They, they had just invented machinery. Like it probably didn't work super good. It was probably, it was probably dangerous. There was probably accidents happening. So he was also writing it from that lens. And at that time, the people with the capital were able to bring these farmers in and, you know, maybe there was some exploitation, but that's not how it turned out. Right. And so he wrote it in a period of time coming from a mad at the world standpoint and at a time when this industrial revolution was happening. Um, anyway, the book won't die today.
Yeah, uh, the funny, the irony is like the whole industrial revolution, none of that would have happened without the ownership of private property, like no civilization can prosper without it. So it's just, it's super interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. And so he he defined the, 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 the struggle. And so all humans struggle. And Alex and I, we really hit on this, like all humans struggle, like there's finite resources, right? And uh, limited time, right? We all struggle. Um, but he outlined the struggle between two classes right? The rich and the poor. Um, we redefine the access of the struggle. And we, we labeled the struggle as the struggle between the individual and the collectivist trying to always co-opt them and assign them to groups. That's the struggle. How can I stay free to direct my life as I see fit? How can I stay to be a sovereign versus always trying to be pulled into these groups? Um, so we kind of wrote it from that, from that angle. Another big misconception is that people think that he wrote that book more as like an observation. Someone told me that the other day. And I was like, no, 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 no. He, he wrote this as a call to arms. He finishes the book, workers of the world unite. That's what he said. That was his call to arms, which is pretty funny. It's actually pretty ironic where you have a nation like Canada going full socialist. And now you have the workers of Canada uniting and they're not happy about it. <laughs> kind of, kind of ironic, isn't it? Yo, my fellow Bitcoin lovers, have I got something specifically curated for you. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium markets intelligence newsletter. This isn't some pay group selling buy and sell signals. No, this is a premium Bitcoin analysis led by Dylan LeClaire and his team of analysts. They break down in an easily digestible way what is happening on chain in the derivatives markets and in the greater macro backdrop context for Bitcoin. This newsletter turns volatility into a joke. So hit up members.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code podcast for 30% off the deep dive. That's members.bitcoinmagazine.com promo code podcast for 30% off. Divorce your paid group and learn why Bitcoin is the ultimate asset by Dylan and his team. My fellow plubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Um, I have to read you this comment right now because it's hilarious, but Mr. G, the recycling guy, the uncommunist manifesto should naturally be printed hardcover with gold leaf pages for nothing less than the low price of $899. The commies would get so triggered. That just put a nice little smile and chuckle on my face. But you also kind of describe in the way that you presented Marx and how he came to be and, you know, his life. 
it's very similar to those kids out of New York, like the trust fund kids at the beginning of COVID who are like, oh, I don't want this. I don't need this money. Let's make laws so that no one can be awarded this much money for doing nothing. It's like, bro, the privilege you speak with, I would love, love the opportunity to do so many things with that money that you're yeah. just handed. Um, yeah. So that was a, that was a whole tangent. I'm sorry for going down. Uh, but by the way, go to uncommunist.com and uh, pre-order the book. Cause it's just gonna, we're selling it for almost nothing. We're just trying to get, we're trying to get enough money to print enough copies and take it out and try to spread that anyway. So, um, three times 84 equals 252. So every 250 years, there's a, there's a revolution, a political revolution. So 250 years ago was the American revolution, French revolution, 250 years before that was the Protestant reformation. And those represent pushing back on centralization and moving towards decentralization. At the same time, so that's a 250 year time frame. On a 50 year time frame, we have technological revolutions or K waves. And so technological revolutions are not new technologies like an iPhone. It's a revolution that changes the course of humanity. Think steel, electricity, automobiles, microprocessors. They change the way the world works. For all of humanity, people walked and rode horses, and then we had cars. <laughs> Uh, right. For all of humanity, people used fire for light. And then we had electricity. Um, and so we're, those happened on about a 50 year time frame. And here we are witnessing. So 1971 was the birthplace of the microprocessor, which led to personal computers and telecommunications and the Internet and what we're doing right now. 1971 plus 50 years puts us 2021. And we're witnessing another technological revolution. The decentralized technological revolution. Bitcoin is that technological revolution. And it's happening right at the same time as the 250-year political revolution cycle. So right at the same time as the world is rejecting centralization, we have a new technology that gives us the tool that we need for decentralization, which is pretty cool. And so I think it's pretty apparent for anybody to see that the world is peak centralization, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, World Trade Organization, World Meteorological Association, UN, IMF, et cetera. Um, but the whole world's pushing back on that. As I said, pre-pandemic, there was 10 countries with over a million people each marching. And so what's happening with these, these farmers, or I'm sorry, the, the truckers in Canada, it's not about the mandate. It is about the mandates, but it's because the centralization is too much. They're squeezing too hard. They realize that they're losing their grip. They realize that technology is displacing them with the internet. Just like in the, in the 1500s, the Protestant Reformation, the church was displaced because the printing press gave Bibles out to everybody. And no matter how many people they killed, labeled them heretics and killed them, they couldn't stop what was happening. Um, they tried and they killed a lot of people. And very similar, what, what's happening today is they are not able to stop this amount of information Alternative news sources have grown too big, and they can't hide anymore, and it's their last gasp. They're trying to squeeze as hard as they can to hang on to whatever they can, just like the Protestant Reformation did. The church killed a lot of people. They're killing people today. They're assassinating them online, right? They're deplatforming them, et cetera. Um, so this is not a black swan event. This is what happens. Um, and then on top of that, we have the financial revolution. So about every 80 years, this is an 80-year time frame, the financial system gets reset. And so again, 80 years ago was the Bretton Woods. Now, 80 years later, they're calling for Bretton Woods too. We know that from a macro you know, financial standpoint, we can see that the central banks have two tools, interest rates and monetary supply. Well, interest rates are zero or negative in most parts of the world. So there's not much they can do there. And they've created $20 trillion in the last two years to try to prop up the markets. Like there's over $300 trillion of debt they've created in 50 years. Like what can they do? And so that whole system has to be reset. If you and I were playing a game and we're out of moves, 
you reset the game, right? So that's on an 80 year time frame, technology on a 50 year time frame, political on a 250 year time frame, but all three are converging right now. And what it tells us is that the future, so a lot of people say, will the dollar remain as the reserve currency or will the Chinese yuan take over or will we go to an SDR CBDC or will we go back to gold? But see, all those people are looking for a centralized answer, but the future is not centralized. The future is decentralized. That's what history tells us. And so I think it shows that Bitcoin is inevitable, in my opinion. I love that. I mean, I, I kind of want to ask a, a follow-up on this last point, though. While I think we're all on the same page, Bitcoin will eventually be the world reserve currency. Do you see a world, though, where the USD just does not exist anymore? There's no more dollars in circulation? Or do you think it will coexist in the future with Bitcoin? I mean, uh Problem with these types of questions is over what time frame, right? So I think it I think it coexists uh, for a really long time, um, just like we've seen like the the pound sterling, right? I mean it's still around. It's lost ninety nine percent of its value, but it's like still there. Nobody really uses it globally, but like whatever, it's still there. Um, and so to kind of to the to the question that you asked, you know, or you, the statement that you made that Bitcoin will be the reserve currency over at a long enough time frame, probably um, in the short term, I think the future is decentralized. So. It's my reserve, and it's most likely your reserve. It's also MicroStrategy reserve. It's also El Salvador's reserve. But a lot of people are still on gold or dollars or oil or whatever, right? And so the, I, think, I think the world over the next few decades is very decentralized. Um, and then eventually we'll converge back to one again. So I think the dollar sticks around for a really long time. Awesome. I definitely agree with that and uh, glad to hear someone smarter than me also thinks that. <laughs> um, I want to unpack a little bit about this convoy. You brought it up a couple of times. We at Bitcoin Magazine are doing as much as possible to bring attention to it. You bring up yeah. a very valid point. The mainstream media is not reporting on it, nor are they reporting, quite frankly, fairly on it. Uh, I don't want to be that guy saying, oh, it's unfair, but to paint people as villains without really showing them what what they are fighting for. And I think you are defining it very well. They're painted as they don't want to take the vaccine, but that's not what this is. It is very much, hey, enough is enough. Like I'm doing everything you have asked and you keep on asking for more inches, more feet, enough. Yeah. But the line has been drawn and you're not crossing it. Talk to us a little bit about like what, what feelings this has brought up, what sort of your initial thoughts or reactions have been over the course of it started, over the course of Canadian government, like- yeah pushing back and then go fund me debacle where this really came onto my radar this whole thesis it, where it really came onto my radar was brexit happening like in 2016 and then trump was elected um which was you know against the establishment but then really was if you guys remember the yellow jackets in france and the yellow jackets in france were protesting and the, just like the news media today the news media said oh they're mad about a gas tax like <laughs> No, 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 no. They're mad about way more than the gas tax. That might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. But again, they were mad of the continual government overreach, right? And continuing to make their lives harder and harder. And so it's only continued to escalate since then. So to your point, uh, yeah, uh, the news media, some of the things I've seen, like I said, they're, they're, they're protesting vaccines. Well, okay, that, that maybe it's that thing, but like it's bigger than that, right? It's like they're protesting that they can't work they can't feed their families. They don't have freedom to move around their country. They don't even have freedom of religion, which is like, which is like, which is like specifically guaranteed, 
They don't even have that. And, you know, humans can take a lot of things. If you go back through history and you look at all these revolutions that have happened, the final breaking point almost every single time is when people can't take care of their family. If people can't feed their family, it's called the nine meals to anarchy. You don't eat for nine meals, it's on, right? My kids don't eat for three meals, someone's getting jacked, right? Like, it's like, it's like that. And like, when you can't feed your family, that's the breaking point. So they have literally taken away these people's ability to work, to travel, to even get food in some cases. What do they expect is going to happen? So is it about the vaccine? The vaccine, I, I guess, but it's much more than that. The government has gotten way too big. It's gotten way too hard for these, for these people to live. Um, now, I, uh, I made a video, actually, I think it's going live this evening about it. And um, what I said is that, you know, um, Trudeau came out and said, um, this is the fringe minority. These don't represent Amer uh, the most Canadians, right? It's fringe. Um, I made a tweet that said the government is the fringe. Right. If you think about it, right, the government makes up just a small percentage of the population. The government is the fringe. Um, but he said that these people were the fringe. Well, how do we know? How do we know that? Did we take a poll? Have we done a vote? How, how do we know who really is the fringe here? Well, we know because the best vote we can ever make, the most important vote that we all make, the reason why I left Puerto Rico December 29th of 2021 is because we vote with our money. That's the best vote. Now, I can say whatever I want on a piece of paper. That's why um, the polls, when they run election polls, they're not nearly as accurate as the betting markets. The betting markets are way more accurate because people have skin in the game, right? They're putting their money where their mouth is versus a poll. Anybody can say whatever they want. So our money is our best vote. Now, they didn't run a poll in Canada to find out who the fringe is, but they kind of did. So um, GoFundMe raised over $10 million before they shut it off. Now there's been another $3 million raised, I think, on the other one. And now there's whatever, another million almost on the Bitcoin one. Um, so whatever, that's almost $15 million. Well, Trudeau's campaign only raised $3 million in the last quarter. As a matter of fact, all the political parties of Canada combined in the last quarter have only raised, uh, I think, eight or nine million. So to me, that's the vote. People have put their money where their mouth is. We have 15 million being raised for the truckers, and we have three million being raised for Trudeau. The vote's in. The people have spoken, right? So I think that, I think that frames it up, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the news is out. People see it. People agree. But it's a, it's a very dangerous situation that we're in right now. A um, couple of things that I think. One, unfortunately, and I hate, to, I, I hate to sensationalize things like this, but like this is the stand. Like this is the Alamo. Like uh, uh, growing up in South Texas, uh, the, the story of the Alamo is very dear to me. As a matter of fact, I'm speaking at uh, Unconfiscatable in uh, Vegas in uh, March, and I'm giving a talk based on the, the Alamo. Come and take it if you guys have seen the flag, right? The Gonzalez flag. Um, but even though the people at the Alamo died, it was the rally cry that brought the U.S. into the war. And, and finally, they won their independence from Mexico. Um, and that's how it is in Canada right now. Like, um, if, if, if the truckers cave at this point, there's no protest that's ever going to stand up again to this. Like, it's almost like a now or never. And, um, man, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And if, if they don't, this can be replicated across the world as we see that well, it already the plebs, is. 
Yeah, it, they can unite to defeat the government, like corrupt mandates. It's going to be great. There was like, uh, like 90,000 trucks that were supposed to be uh, doing a convoy in the United States. Um, there's trucks that have been lining up in Australia, trucks that have been lining up in um, some places in Europe. I forget now. I mentioned them in my videos. But, I mean, it's starting to kind of catch on. And that's one thing that the governments can't have. They don't want people yeah. to see this, which is why it's always media blackout on any oh yeah, New Zealand as well. Yeah. It's always been yeah. media blackout uh, because they don't want this to catch on. Uh, but it's I, it it's go time. Yeah, I'm very curious what would or is happening in the United States that we just haven't heard about because you know, I was working in, in the downtown of a of, of a city um during when Black Lives Matter was kind of at its height. And uh, I think regardless of the cause, I was amazed at how quickly they brought in National Guard and started throwing, you know, flashbangs, pepper spray, like they dispersed these uh, protests, demonstrations that were peaceful, where I was, they were peaceful when they started, you know, I saw the whole thing, totally peaceful, but they just, they just destroyed them and disperse in the United States, they just have, we have no tolerance for it. Um, I mean, I don't know amazing. if that's, I don't, I don't know if that's totally true, Alex. I mean, uh, okay. we saw city, we saw cities burned to the ground, dude. Like, uh, obviously Kenosha, we saw Portland, Oregon, like we saw cities burned to the ground. I mean, in LA and New York city, all the stores got completely looted and they're now they're boarded up. Uh, we saw, but, obviously, but that's city, different. That's different from, from, from the protests that the truckers are doing. Is it not? Oh, no, it's totally different. I, but you were talking right. about the BLM Antifa riots or whatever, how they were mostly peaceful and, the, and they, they broke them up. Um, I mean, they occupied uh, a whole city block in Seattle, the Chalk District, right? Like, I'm going right, to right. challenge and push back on a couple of these, though. Like, I can speak to LA, having been in LA, having seen some of these protests firsthand. Yes, absolutely. There are some protests that got out of hand. That That's across the board. I would say you can find a protest that eventually gets out of hand with bad actors involved. That's unfortunately human nature. I will say, like, going to the Grove in West Hollywood after the National Guard was here and just like sitting to get food with National Guardsmen walking around with guns was one of the most surreal experiences. Like I, it couldn't click in my head that I was not only in America, I was in Los Angeles in my hometown. That was really weird and uncomfortable for me personally. But to your point, yes, it got out of control in, in some areas. Um, and I think when it does in that regard, there needs to be some sort of a response to that. And I will give a lot of credit to leadership on the left for condemning those actions, for saying that this is not the way we want to approach this. There were other leaders who did vocally say like, fuck this, burn everything to the ground. But there were others who also did speak up and say like, this is not going to accomplish anything. Yeah. Um, right, right. I'm not even commenting like rightly or, or wrongly on, you know, should this protest be allowed to exist? Should this protest be allowed to exist? I'm just First saying Amendment, in random should. fringe small towns where people gather, a lot of places in the United States don't put up with that and they, they will squash those those <laughs> those movements. So, I mean, if they're going to have it happen in the United States, I, we're going to have to see a concerted effort here, I feel like. Yeah. Well, I love uh, I, I love I love what the Canadians are doing uh, so far. They've really tried to keep it super peaceful. As a matter of fact, I've seen reports showing that crime has actually gone down in most of the areas that they've been in because they're working super hard to squash anything. There's been stories about, you know, provocateurs coming up and trying to start problems, and they've been keeping it super chill. To your point, though, in the United States, I mean, uh, just two weeks ago, they had uh, those th uh, two or three days of marches on the U.S. Capitol, right? Um, there was one that um, 
we're talking before, like my friend JP Sears, he was that with, you know, Dr. Uh, I think RFK Jr. and some others, they were there protesting mandates. Um, that was pretty big. And then there was one, I think the day before as well. So, I mean, they're happening. You know, I think um, if the U.S. was as bad as Canada was, we would probably see a whole different thing, right? And so we luckily have it pretty good here. Like, uh, we're not prohibited from traveling. I'm not prohibited from feeding my family. If I was, what's on? But we have Second Amendment, too, so that's a whole other story to not get into. But back to back to the truckers, um, I think it's super important. Um, what I love, and I put a tweet out about this, is that it was uh, Satoshi Nakamoto's second-to-last message. And he went on the Bitcoin Talk message board, and uh, at the time, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks um, had gotten cut off from PayPal, and nobody could send them money, right? So Bitcoin is censorship resistant, not just in a sense where I can hold my wealth, where it can't be stolen or inflated or, or confiscated, but even where I, I, I can send it to anybody I want, right? And with PayPal, you can't. And so they had blocked people's payments via PayPal, and they said, hey, just start sending Bitcoin. And his second to last message was uh, paraphrasing that, you know, Bitcoin's not ready. It's not ready for this. Don't bring the heat. We're, you know, we're not ready for that. And then he said, uh, uh, here comes the hornet's nest or something like that. But today, Bitcoin is ready. Bitcoin is on the world stage. And um, as much what I, what I love about this is that these leaders, these policies, the more they squeeze, the more they lose. And um, they're doing Bitcoin's marketing for them. Anybody who wondered if there was a use case for Bitcoin is starting to find out very quickly that, shoot, I can't use traditional finance. I can't have my money in the bank. I can't use GoFundMe. I need another system. And uh, they're really bringing a lot of attention, a lot of eyeballs. They're, they're the best marketing department we have. And so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd say Bitcoin is probably at this point one of the most recognizable brands without being a brand, without really having a product, most if not yeah, I'd say most of the world knows or is aware of it. I want to talk, we've talked a little bit about this decentralization concept and the fact that that is really what separates Bitcoin from, frankly, anything, whether it's fiat, altcoins, anything else. Yep. Um, but we also, I think, don't discuss enough the secondary and tertiary layers of Bitcoin, for example, Lightning, Podcast 2.0, and, so, and so on. There is a level of centralization in these components. And talk to me a little bit or talk to us a little bit about how do we separate the decentralization of Bitcoin to centralize in some capacity, whether it's businesses built on top and then keep it pure. Because eventually I fear we could run into just the same problem, just exacerbated. Uh, yes and no, right? So um, I, think, I think there's a couple of things. So what happens is, is that everything in life has trade-offs, everything. There's a cost-benefit analysis to everything. And, and early on in the, in the crypto days, Vitalik Buterin uh, made the trilemma, right? So the dilemma is I have to choose between two things. Trilemma is one of three things, and right? So it was uh, speed, decentralization, and security. And so uh, in 2017, Bitcoin went through the block size wars, and they sacrificed decentralization for speed, right? They got more speed. They got less decentralization. And so by keeping the block sizes small, we kept it slow, but we kept it decentralized and secure. So we, we sacrificed speed to keep the security and decentralization, which is the way I think it should be on the base layer. As we scale up, we can make whatever trade-offs we want. So for example, Monero. Monero is great, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like Bitcoin and it's, it's private, et cetera, but they've made trade-offs on the base layer that are not acceptable to me, right? Like uh, the ability to not be able to, you know, 
clearly or easily be able to verify the network, for example, right, is one of them. And so like, I'm okay making that trade-off up higher. So for example, Lightning, to your point, is more centralized. I use Lightning when I was in El Salvador to buy my cup of coffee. That cup of coffee does not need to be on the base layer, immutable for all of eternity. It doesn't need to be there. It's a cup of coffee, man, right? So I'm okay making the trade-off on a higher level to give up the, the security for speed, right? I'm okay with that. Now, if I want to send a million dollars, I would rather wait the longer amount of time because I want the security. I don't need the speed. And so what happens is we can make those trade-offs as we go up. Now, to your point, um, yes, we're trading off. We're getting more centralized. So we're getting more of the trilemma. We're getting more speed or lower fees, but less decentralization. And eventually, to your point, yes, we could start to see more centralized applications being built on top of Bitcoin. Where I'm not, Where I don't have a problem with that is I believe that in the free market that we still have and we'll have more of, um, as these people will be competing as second, third layer applications, people will be able to choose. Do Am I okay giving up, um, taking more centralization? But because everyone's building on the same base layer, um, everyone's going to be giving different trade-offs. And us as consumers, we'll be able to choose which applications we want based off of which trade-offs we're okay with, and the free market will decide. But we can always go back and use that base layer and have that full decentralization if we want. Awesome. Thank you for, for explaining that. I definitely, uh, I've had some fears about that, but that explanation actually makes sense with the tertiary trade-offs. I want to go to another notable news story that everyone has talked about at nauseum and will frankly continue to, uh, the censorship issues that have been going on. Again, this goes back to centralized control. You see yeah. governments stepping in, the Joe Rogan Spotify issue. Yep. Zion even just today, I saw JP Sears posting something about welcoming Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan show to Zion. And you've seen other platforms offering this as well. Talk to me a little bit about just what you've seen as far as censorship and, and what uh, issues you want to see resolved in that space specifically. Yeah. So um, I think, um, Again, kind of growing up in this kind of political household, uh, a line of uh, you know warriors, uh, war war heroes, um, thinking I'd go to war one day. I mean, I grew up under the Cold War. I don't remember the exact moment it hit me, but there was there was a moment where all of a sudden I was like, I can't say what I want online anymore. Like as a content creator, as someone who puts my content out there all the time, I remember that moment where I was like, I remember the thought and the feeling. I don't remember the date that it was. Um, but it's, it was, uh, it's a hard realization for me as somebody who grew up under the cold war and, and always was taught that communism was bad and taught that, oh my gosh, they don't get to decide what they want to do with their own labor. They don't get to decide what they, they don't have freedom of speech. Oh my gosh. And, um, I remember that day it was, it was a sad realization. Um, I think probably the first time it really hit was, uh, when Alex Jones was, Alex Jones was deplatformed. He was probably the first person. Uh, within weeks of taking Alex Jones off the face of the earth, I think there was like 800 people on both sides, left and right, that were deplatformed. And it's just been escalating ever since. A couple of things that I would say to that, though, like with this Joe Rogan deal, for example, which is obviously, uh, you know, front and center at this point, there's a couple of things. First off, the internet's pretty decentralized already. So the internet has become centralized in the sense that we're all on Twitter, we're all on Facebook, um, but the internet itself is decentralized. So, for example, BitTorrent. <laughs> We've been down. I've been downloading movies and music. I mean, I used to. I don't. Do, I don't do anymore. But like, I've downloaded music and movies on BitTorrent. You know, a decade ago or whatever, right? Like, they haven't been able to shut that down. And that's like 
all the power of music and media and movie and Hollywood and the government came full bore after that. And they just can't shut that down. The internet's pretty decentralized. It's the payments. It's all about the payments. The payments is what they control. The internet has decentralized us. The internet allows me to go be part of the global community anywhere in the world. I can do my job anywhere in the world. The internet allows me to do that. It's the payments that they have. It's That's what Bitcoin is fixing, the payments. So Joe Rogan, for example, Joe Rogan could host his shows on a BitTorrent stream and it could not be censored. And then he could set up a payment app through Bitcoin and people could donate or pay to listen to his shows and he could be 100% uncancelable. Right. So I think we already have that there. So I think that's it from a, from a tech technology standpoint. I, we, you, you mentioned JP Sears letter to, to uh, Joe Rogan on Zion. Um, I'm, I'm involved in Zion. I'm moving my community onto Zion. And uh, basically right now it has about the same functionality of telegram. And so I can create a community and my community can chat between, you know, within, within, within inside to each other. Um, I can have my podcast episodes in there. And as they're streaming my content down, they can stream sats up to me. Um, but what's cool about that is when they're chatting in that community, um, the messages are going peer to peer. They're not going through Telegram or WhatsApp servers. They're going peer to peer over the Lightning Network, and then also, you know, you've heard a lot about specifically in the whatever Web three or the crypto space of like, you know, we'll be able to own our own data, right? Well, when you own, when you have your own node, your own Bitcoin Lightning node, and you operate on a network like Zion, um, you own your data on your node. And so, for example, my community is built on my node, and nobody has the power, no Facebook or whatever can shut that community down. I own that community. It's on my node. I have the private key for that. And so for Zion, it's not that they don't censor you or that maybe one day they would censor you. It's that they can't. It's on my node. They can't control that. So we have the, the getter and the parlors that have sprung up and you know Trump's going to launch his or whatever. And they promise to not censor you. They promise to be open speech like Twitter promised to be that as well. But who knows when they get squeezed, when they go public, you know, down the, down the line, what they might you know, change. They, they replace the CEO or whatever. Um, but with Zion, it's not that they won't. It's that they can't. And so I think that's pretty cool. Um, so I think that's, that's helpful. But I think, so I don't know, that's it from a tech standpoint. And then, and then, then there's a whole societal piece we can talk about, but I'll stop there. No, please. Like we talk about this a lot. We were deplatformed for a moment for just triggering the algorithm. We didn't even say anything yeah, malicious. Yeah. So like we're, we discussed uh, censorship and deplatforming a ton. I've said repeatedly, like I, like I will show my cards. I am left-leaning. I know that about myself, but I also am a huge, huge believer just because you have a different opinion does not mean I have the right to tell you not to talk. You have the absolute right to share your opinion and I have the right to choose to listen or not listen to you. That is on me. That is not on someone else to tell me what I can and can't listen to. And that's where it becomes dangerous in my mind. But I'd love your but thoughts. But it always this. comes down to the platform. I mean, we all we all chose out of our own free will to use this centralized platform because of the ease of access, because of the bandwidth, because right. of the reach. So it's about creating the Zions and the decentralized alternatives and not simply hopping, like you pointed out, from Twitter to Getter. That 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 does nothing for us. Yeah, exactly. I'd love to I'd love to ask you about that, Q, because uh you're you're left leaning, um, but you don't uh don't want to censor anybody. I specifically like to push back on that. What is left? What is right? They said socialists are on the left. They say fascism is on the right. They say like, whatever, right? Like I, and, and this is part of Svetsky and I wrote this book uh, about this. 
I don't like those terms. I don't know what left and right is anymore. I don't, I don't know why socialism is left and fascism is right. The way that we see the world, the way that I see the world is individuals or collectives, right? Individuals or collectivists. So to my, in my opinion, both socialism and fascism are both collectivist. So you're on the left. I don't even know what that means. Like, are you for the individual being able to have freedom to choose what they want? Absolutely. Okay, so that to me would be on the right, but whether it's on the left or right, I don't know. Like it's about the individual having freedom to choose. Totally. Um, the, way that I, the way that I look at, and this is why I don't like labels because we all have these different words in our heads, but like I look at the left as the people that want to censor and deplatform and whatever. So you say you're left-leaning, but you're not for canceling and censoring people. Um, so I would look at that on the right. But uh, again, we've lost these meanings. And so I just look at it as like, we're both, we both believe in individualism and sovereignty. We're on the same side. 100%. And, and I totally agree with you. Like, I hate the labels of it. If anything, I've been well, you, called- you, you said it. I know. I, <laughs> That's he's, he's, we're training him to stop saying that he's on the left. He's, we've been over the course of the show programming Q to become it, more it sovereign. a process of deprogramming me for sure. 100%. Because I would, I would say, I, I think, you know, maybe the left used to be like liberalism, right? So liberalism, like I should be able to be gay or marry, marry, be, have, be, be married and be gay or I should whatever. And, but that was more about like, I'm an individual. Who's the, who's the government to tell me that I can or can't get married? Like that's ridiculous in the first place. Um, so I think what liberalism was, was really for freedom, like classical liberalism, but now it's been hijacked by the left, which again, I see as more of the pro-censorship, pro-cancel kind of culture. The, the, lib, the classic liberalism is individualism, uh, whereas the left is uh, collectivism. So, so I don't know if you see it like that. I, I, I agree with what you're saying, and I, and I don't. The one point that I want to push back on is the notion of like, it's either collectivism or individualism. I agree with the idea that like the origins of liberalism are meant to be individualist so that we can make decisions that we see fit for ourselves, our families, and our community. I think part of the reason why I lean left, if you will, is my upbringing. Um, and then beyond that too, I felt growing up that the people who spoke about the issues that matter to me, the things that I wanted to see change, and frankly, like I'll, I'll be blunt, I can't stand Donald Trump, but the main reason I can't stand Donald Trump is because he called my country a shithole country. Like, them be fighting words, but that's just me talking. That may not be the same decision for Yeah, but that's else. also that, that, I mean, then that gets into like nationalism and how nationalism is used against you to really try to get you into the, to, to try to pick sides and how they try to get the U.S. fighting with you, with Russia mm -hmm. so we can, so they can embolden this nationalism. We want to join the military and that's all freaking games oh. anyway. Like, uh, like I, I grew up a patriot, like I, uh, from a line of people going to war, I thought I'd go to war. I mean, I have the Statue of Liberty tattooed on my arm right here. Um, but, but now that I'm older, I'm just like, Every war that we've gone to was really to protect the interests of a few rich people. Like none of the wars that we've gone to have ever increased our freedom. As a matter of fact, all the wars have taken away the freedom. And so like that whole nationalism thing, to your point, I love, and I'm still a patriot and I still love the ideology and the values of what America stood for. But today the left or whoever has tried to destroy any values or what America stood for. And so anyway, uh, you, you got mad because he said something bad about your country, uh, but maybe just kind of rethink that, right? Where it's like, uh, 
it's probably not a personal attack. And the fact that you take it personally, you might be being played a little bit. But anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. No, I mean, <laughs> look, Mark, you're going to have to come up. I'm in the South Bay. I have one of the best surfing spots in the country down the street from me. Anytime you want, come up. We can chat yeah. about this for, for And I live in San Clemente, so I surf, uh, I surf lower trestles all the time. You can come down Boom. here. Boom. But, uh, um, I do want to – so one thing you keep bringing up, and this is just – from what I have studied and learned, and maybe you, you may not disagree, but you talk about it's either individualism or collectivism. I was always a big believer that you you just said war was always fought for the best interest of an individual. I frankly agree with that and even take it a step further that if it wasn't for that, it was based on religion. Oh, this person doesn't pray to the same God as me. Therefore, you are less than me. Therefore, I, I have the right to kill you or change your mind. So I always frankly hated religion because I viewed it as this thing that force people into hatred and force you into sides. As I've studied more about human uh, human history, though, we tend to be this sort of um, collective groupism. You see back in hunter-gatherer periods, you had groups of 30 or so hunter-gatherers that would go out. Uh, you see it in the next iteration of humanity in the agricultural uh, revolution when you have knights watching over certain areas and protecting farmers, and it progresses into nation states now. How do we combat that? Because my, again, going back to the question I asked about potentially centralizing above Bitcoin, we talk in, in the sovereign individual specifically about these sovereign individuals will sort of create communities, if you will. And then these people will come in that agree with the values being put forward or the work being done in this community. How is that not in a degree, some form of uh, community or centralization? It is. It is. So um, neither extreme is good, in my opinion. So um, being 100% decentralized and 100% self-sovereign, that's not a good world. Uh, like I'm going to live all by myself on a mountaintop and I have to grow my own food and make my own clothes and build my own house. Like I don't want to live in that world. Um, we are to the point that you've made. I mean, we are as humans, we're communal people, right? We love community. We would like to work together. The difference is that um, as an individual, I direct my life as I see fit, but you and I can collectively work together when it suits our interests. So for example, if we were together and somebody tried to come kill us, we would decide to work together <laughs> to combat that killer because that in a, is in our best interest, right? You and I might de uh, decide to start a business together. We might decide to plant a field together uh, because it's in both of our interests to do that. So we are communal. We do want to have community. Uh, we do want to work together, but as individuals, um, when our interests align. The problem is that we're co-opted into a collectivist and we're forced to do things that we don't want to do. And so to your point, uh, yes, neither extreme is good, right? 100% um, central controlled, which is uh, you know communism, or 100% decentralized where I live by myself on a mountaintop, neither one of those are good, and there's a blend. But the, but the, but the blend or the spectrum is more on the individual side where I can align with different interests and groups when it fits my needs. So for example, I lived in a gated neighborhood. There was a homeowners association. I had to pay 450 bucks a month, my taxes to join that association, but I had tennis courts and I had a pool and the, the neighborhood was beautiful, but then I couldn't park my car on the street and I couldn't put a ramp in the front yard for my kids. And so like, do, am I okay with these restrictions? I mean, I have to pay the fee, but I have these benefits and I lived there for five years and then I left. Right. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to go over here and now I'm in a neighborhood with no homeowner association, but you know what, now my neighbor parks a junkie car in front of his house and this guy doesn't keep up his yard, um, but I can put a skate ramp in front. Right. And so like, I'm able to make those choices 
and align with different interests or different collectives based off of what I want as an individual. And so that's kind of how I see it. I think uh, 330 million people in the United States is way too many people for Joe Biden to be deciding over. He doesn't know what I want here in Southern California. He's never even been here probably, right? Um, and so um, we need to get back. I mean, the United States was meant to be a decentralized nation, 50 independent states. And um, they should be self-sovereign as it was intended to be. And it really should be even smaller than that. Um, so I agree with your point. Um, it's the spectrum that I think we kind of have to decide on. Um, but I think it errs on the side of the individual and then the individual aligning themselves with, with communities. Thank you for that definition. I think we, uh, we do get lost sometimes on this binary spectrum and not realize that life in general is a spectrum. It's not this or that it can be a, a multitude of different things. So that, that's one of the, that's one of the biggest problems that I see with people today, um, specifically in the financial niche, kind of where I, where I focus on is that people come in and say, Bitcoin will never make it or Bitcoin is going to go to a million or like they make these statements and it's like, it's never going to make it really like, do you think it has a 1% chance maybe of making it like, okay, yeah, a 1%. Okay, okay, then why did you say it would never will, right? So people talk in these absolutes. And I really see a problem where people are, un, you know, they're not flexible with their thinking. They're not able to understand the nuance of these subjects. Like we talk about inflation, inflation, 7%. Do you even know what that means? Like, how can you put inflation on a single number? There's a lot of nuance there. And so to your point, yeah, everything's a spectrum. Everything's a trade-off. And I think people need to really understand that. And, and that would also probably bring a lot more uh, ability for us to communicate a lot better as well. Definitely. We didn't really get a chance to, we, we touched on it briefly, but uh, your, your story always fascinates me, you know, aggressively trying to get involved into real estate, especially in Southern California, my, my area, my hometown, and just sort of what happened as far as the, the 08 financial crisis leading you into Bitcoin. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what were the, what are some similarities that you saw between leaving real estate, if you will, and then seeing Bitcoin, what was sort of the similarities and the differences that really sold it to you? It wasn't, I don't know if it was necessarily similarities. I think the problem was, is like I said, like I had done really good at making money. I mean, uh, not to sound whatever arrogant, but I just right out of, right out of high school at 18 years old, I started buying bank owned repos. I started fixing them up and flipping them and went on to do, you know, over a hundred of those. And I owned over 200 rental properties. I started two different businesses, one in a medical equipment uh, business. And I started a e-commerce business in 2001 at the bottom of the dot-com crash fortune 500 exits on the businesses. Like I just did really good. I was making a lot of money, but then in 2008, when the great financial crash happened, I just, I just got wiped out. And, um, it was, it, it wasn't that that necessarily had a similarity, but it's, it was the motivation that one made me motivated to figure out what is going on in this financial system. Right. And so, um, I poured deep into my own education um, that's when I found out that it's, it's the fiat money system that's the problem, and these guys' ability to print more fiat uh, currency and the and the the solution to that would be go back to gold. Uh, I thought, you know, in two thousand eight. Uh, eventually, I found out it's it's sound money. So um, I don't know if there was a lot of similarities other than, um, like I said, it was it was the motivation for what I do today. As a matter of fact, um, I showed you um, real quick. This is this is my new office. I, I'm just moving into today. It's about sixteen hundred square feet. I'm going to build this into a giant uh, video and podcast studio. Um, but so today's my first day here. And uh, interesting enough, this building that I'm in is the building that I built. It was a $12 million building. I built this building and I lost it to the bank in 2008. And the, the people that bought this building from the bank, I, I tried to sell it for 12 million. They, they bought it for four. 
I had it listed. I, I turned an offer down at 11, 11 million. Oh. I thought I could get to 12. And it ended up going back to the bank. The bank sold it for four million. And the, and the people that I'm renting, now I'm renting uh, from the people that own it. So I've come full circle. Um, but I'm not mad about it. I think, like I said, it was the motivation. And part of the motivation too was that um, <laughs> uh, after I got into Bitcoin, I, then I went into cryptocurrency. From uh, about 2016 to 2019, I wrote a cryptocurrency research newsletter. I personally researched and published over a thousand pages of research on every crypto project out there during that time frame. You know, the decentralized exchanges and the privacy coins, and I mean, you name it, right? And, uh, you know, from 2016 to 2019 was quite a run in, in crypto. Uh, but I saw people making the same mistake that I made, which was putting all their eggs in one basket. And uh, people, I mean, during that time, I put out over 20 positions that went up over 1,000%. One of my calls went up over 100,000% during that. That turns 500 bucks into half a million dollars. Like, it did amazing, but yet people were still losing money. And it was like, for the same reasons that I lost in 2008. And so um, it helped me change the way, it, it's my motivation to help educate. So it's all my motivation of why I do what I do today, helping educate people, um, helping people um, understand the financial system better because that's what I was missing. Um, in 2019, after doing a thousand pages of research, I decided it's all a waste of time. I'm only going to focus on Bitcoin. So since 2019, I've been Bitcoin only. A lot of times people go, when I talk about other cryptocurrencies, they're like, Mark, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you need to do your own research. I'm like, I've published over a thousand pages of research. Like how many have you published? <laughs> Cause like I've done it and uh, I've come full circle. Um, so I'd say, like I said, it, it wasn't necessarily similarities other than um, it, that pain and that I went through gave me the motivation, I guess, to do what I'm doing today. I just got to say on, on behalf of those who, who listen and read some of your work, thank you. Thank you for teaching us the lessons that you unfortunately had to learn the hard way. Um, but I am truly grateful for the lessons you teach. So thank you for that. Um, I'd love to ask you, what is your definition of the difference between Bitcoin and crypto? I would say the, I would, I would ask a question and I would say, what is it that, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? So when I look at the world and I, there's a lot of problems, there's a lot of problems in the world. We can talk about any of them from censorship to uh, income inequality, to incarceration rate, to divorce rate, to obesity. I mean, you name it. Um, I believe every single problem, if, if we had a tree, an oak tree with 10,000 leaves, and every leaf on a tree is a problem, at the base of that tree, at the root, sits the money printer. That's my opinion. And so the problem that we're trying to solve, in my opinion, is the centralization. It's the control over the money supply. It's the censorship. It's all those things, but it sits at the money supply, the, the, the money printer. That's the problem. Fix the money, fix the world, right? Um, as I said, the internet's already decentralized. Like they can't shut down BitTorrent. It's the money. We have to fix the money. We have to take it out of the hands of the government. We have to take it away from the people that control it. We didn't need faster money. That, that wasn't a problem. That wasn't going to change the world. Like money's already fast. Like I have Visa. Visa's faster than Bitcoin apparently, right? Like um, I didn't need faster money. What we needed is we need to take the money out of the hands of the government. We have to fix the money. So um, I see Bitcoin as the only option to do that, right? If we, if we have an unlimited money supply, we need something with a fixed supply cap. If we have money that's censorable, we need something that's censorship resistant. Uh, we're in a world today that uh, we, used to have a, we used to have a rule of law. The constitution was meant to be an 
a rule of law that was easy for everyone to understand. And I could plan my life based off those set of laws. And you could also plan your life based off those set of laws. If we played a game of basketball, if uh, I would have to play differently than LeBron James, because he's way taller and faster. So I'd have to play different, but I would have to play different inside the rules. And I understand those rules, but today we're ruled by men. We, men change the rules all the time. I don't know what the rules will be in California in, in a month from now. Gavin Newsom could change them again, right? Um, and so we need immutable law. And so when I look at all the other cryptocurrencies, when I, if, 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 I want, if I want fixed money supply, censorship resistant, and immutable law, I only see one that does that. So Cardano, for example, has decentralized governance. I don't want decentralized governance. I don't want governance. I don't want someone to change the rules. Like Ethereum, right? One of the big gripes with, uh, with Ethereum is that we had an unknown issuance on the monetary supply. So whatever, six months ago, Vitalik Buterin and guys, they got together and they changed that. They changed the monetary issuance of Ethereum. Like, you, like I, that, that's the same as the fiat money system. I don't want that, right? And so um, I think the difference is, and again, having been in that world for a long time, um, the difference is, is what we're trying to do. I'm trying to change the world. I got kids. I'm not happy with the world that my kids are going to inherit. And I have decided that I will dedicate every minute for the rest of my life to changing that. And there's one way to do that. Now, um, in the crypto space, those guys are trying to make money. And they're making a lot of money. My old business partner, when I had the crypto newsletter, my old business partner went on and he launched a new project on Solana. And he'll probably have $100 million in the account by the end of the year. Um, we're just not focused on the same thing. I'm not trying to make money. I'm trying to change the world. And I think Bitcoin is the only option for that. I, I want to ask, what does immutable law mean? I mean, Bitcoin, surely I agree with you, is the only thing that's not. It's the only property that is immune to governance. And it, it is the only thing you can truly own, in my opinion, which is why, I mean, it does break down the traditional diversify your investments model, in my opinion. It's just Bitcoin. It's the only sure bet. But Outside of that, what does is, what is immutable law mean? I feel like as, so long as we live in states, we'll always live at the, under the governance of men and, and women. Um, well, we, we will, just like my homeowners association example, right? So I lived under the governance of that homeowners association, but I was able to move. And now I don't live under a homeowners association, right? For example. Um, but back to the immutable law, I think it's that um, through... Traditional crypto assets, you have proof of stake, right? And so whoever has the most tokens stakes them and whoever has the most stake gets the most votes, right? And so they can change these rules arbitrarily. Uh, back to the truckers in Canada, um, was it yesterday, Ottawa made it where now you can't honk your horn for the next 10 days. Like guys that just arbitrarily just make, nope, no more honking now. That's, honking's illegal. Like, <laughs> Did they stop? I mean, it seems like a silly law to try to implement when you've got people protesting. One, one of, I, I don't know. I mean, that was like yesterday. I, I haven't kept up on it. But um, what, if one of the most important books everybody should read is, um, well, read everything that Hayek wrote, but um, The Road to Serfdom is probably the most important book in there. Well, the seminal book, The Constitution of Liberty is good too. But um, the, the Road to Serfdom, everybody should read that book. And, and I, I believe it's chapter six. Um, he really digs into law. And uh, he talks about how the law needs to be, you know, put up in advance. It needs to be easy to understand. Um, and it has to apply to everybody equally, like the game of basketball. LeBron James, he's bigger, he's faster, he shoots better than me. Like, it's not fair. But what is fair is we both have to uh, both have to abide by the same set of rules in, in the game of basketball, right? 
And so the law needs to be equally applied and it can't be just done arbitrarily. Like, oh, no more honking, can't honk now. Like, what does that even mean? Like, you can't just do that. And so um, that's what I mean. So whenever we have governance, um, we have we can change the rules. Immutable law with Bitcoin, you can't change the rules. Now, sure, they could, you know, they could, um, they could try like in the block size wars, right? They could try to change the rules. Um, and we saw what would happen, right? They try to change the rules and, and the chain split and we got Bitcoin Cash, which does have bigger blocks. And then the market decided that we don't want bigger blocks and now Bitcoin Cash is worthless. And so I guess that's what it means. And, and also, you know, with Bitcoin, um, even if they do change the rules like Taproot, for example, um, I don't have to opt into that. My node can continue to operate perfect without running tap tap. You know, right, tap right. So, so my question is more like: Was there a correlation to actual like state law that you see there between Bitcoin, something we could implement? Or well, sure. So, uh, I mean, the, back to the, as, as I mentioned, the Constitution. So, the Constitution, um, what, 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 what the left? <laughs> sorry, Q. What the progressives uh, try to try to tell you is that is the Constitution is a living, breathing document, and it was designed to be updated. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The document was designed to be rigid, and the document was designed to keep the government in check. And so, it was supposed to be kind of immutable law. It was written in a way that these rules shall not be infringed. That's what it said, like shall not be infringed. That's immutable law, right? But of course, um, when you have men that control that, then they start to change the rules. But with Bitcoin, they can't do that. And so I guess that's what immutable law means. Nobody can go and arbitrarily change those rules, change those laws, like, like put a honking thing in. So uh, to, your, to, your, to your question, I guess we don't have that in politics today because we're ruled by men, not by law. Interesting. I guess I'm just uh, a bit confused. Are, are, because we'll always need a, a law that can evolve to keep up with new technology and other updates and just kind of like problems we run into as a society. So I, I just do, do we though? Do we really? Um, do we really yeah, like, need to walk we that always, back? We always, we always I, need new laws? I don't think we we always need it. I don't think we need 3000 different gun laws for every state. I don't but I think we'll always have it. I mean, unless you're proposing like total anarchy, I don't see how people can just like the constitution is not going to work for today's society. Like you can't just only have the constitution and run a society based on that. Why, why is that? Like, why, like give me an example of why the constitution wouldn't work today. I mean, just look at how much like conflict arises from it already. Why why wouldn't we run on that system, or why aren't there experiments be like places where we only have the constitution? If that were the case, they found a need to. Well, we make did. We did. For, we did. For, we did for two hundred fifty years. Okay, so it's worked great. It's worked. It's worked great. It's, it's birthed the greatest nation in the history of the world. It's, it's it's brought more people out of poverty than any any time period or country in the in the history of the whole world. Um, more I, peace, more prosperity I'm, than any experiment in the whole world. I'm, I'm not sure how to verify that, but did not moral laws emerge in that time, or they only had the one document for 200 years? Because that well, it's seem... it's it's still it's still just the one document. Now now there's you know thousands of pages of regulations and and things like that. Mm -hmm. But right, but there was there was the Bill of Rights that failed before that. There were attempts at this, and I think to your point, Mark, the laws are always arbitrary. They're based on whoever has control at that time determining what they see fit or what. But they on shouldn't occasion, be. But they shouldn't be. I, I agree with that. But on occasion, 
And I think this is where some of the better laws that have helped push society forward stem from are when there are uprisings, when there are people, the people, the masses thinking for themselves and saying, hey, we don't want this. We need a change. And there's always pushback. I, like, the easiest I, I think I think um, I think I think we need rules. We need laws. I'm 100 percent okay. like uh, Jordan Peterson says, uh, uh, let's let's uh, let's play a game. You, you guys like to play a game. You want to play a game? Okay, Q, you go first. Yeah, that's the game, Q. You, you don't know. You don't know what to play. do. There's no structure, right? There's no structure. <laughs> yeah. There's no rules. Yeah. So we need we need a set of structures and rules to play within. So like, I'm not saying we don't need it, but what we do need is we need it to be very wide. And we need to be very general, so we can we can interpret those into our own lives, and we can be an individual based off of that. What happens today is now we have all these rules, and I think this is what you guys are saying. So we have these uprisings or whatever. So now we have rules and laws that are trying to take the place of morality. We used to have more. We used to have moral people. We used to knew, know that thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal. But today, uh, nobody abides by those things anymore. We treat each other horribly. Uh, society well, hold is broken on. down. If you murdered someone 200 years ago, no one would know. I mean, you're off. No one would know, but it was still not accepted. Sure, sure. But I'm not, I don't think we were different people just because we had a constitution back then. What I'm saying is um, these laws do exist. And I think they're part of the reason society is where it is today. I don't see societies rising out of lawless regulationless lands i'm not advocating for more regulation by any means I, I never i never said lawless i said we do need laws and we do need rules and so we need those guidelines i'm 100 I'm agreeance i just think they need to be uh more simple and more general so it allows us to plan our lives within those set of laws um, as opposed to trying to regulate every single er er area of your life for example q's up in the bay area q um la if Oh, you're in LA. Oh, you said Bay Area before. Oh, Bay Area of LA. Sorry. Okay. So whatever. LA, even, even the same. So um, if you wanted to build a shed in your backyard, if you even own a home, uh, what would that entail? You would have to probably spend a year going through cities to get permits, to get plans, to get structures, to run it through this association and that association, like it to build a to build a shed. Like I can't build a shed on my own freaking property. Like like to open up an ice cream shop in LA, it's, it's impossible. Like it would cost you so much money and take so much time. You could never make the money back on ice cream shop. Like we don't need that level of laws and regulations. So the question is at what level, again, back to the spectrum, at what spectrum do we need them? I've never, I'm not, a, I'm not an anarchist. I don't believe that a completely lawless anarchist world is, is good. We need a level of trust in society. I don't need someone to test my drink every time to make sure there's no poison in it or whatever, right? We need trust. And, and so I'm not, I'm not advocating for that, um, but we need, we need laws and rules, but they should be much simpler, much less invasive and allow us some leeway to direct our lives as opposed to trying to regulate direct actions and morality out of them. I hear you. I think I think we agree on that. Thank you for, for, for clarifying and walking me through that. I just got a little sidetracked there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's at what spectrum, right? So for example, right. um, the, the, the freedom of speech, like, um, well, people shouldn't be able to say whatever they want, right? Okay, well, then who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? And where is that line? And who's to say that line doesn't change? Right? Like, so no, then I would just say that people should be able to say whatever they want to say. 
I don't have to listen to it. And as a matter of fact, if someone's saying some crazy wacko stuff, we should probably know about that. So we know who that person is, right? Um, like free, like good ideas win in the open market because they're good ideas. Censorship doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, censorship only breaks down trust, right? Back to this kind of societal question of free, freedom of speech. Um, so while I get it, I might say something that you might not like. You don't have to listen to it. Right. And if you take away my ability to say something, you're also taking away someone's ability to hear it. So you're not just censoring me. Now you're censoring everybody else as well. And so, um, you know, on a freedom of speech issue, for example, dude, you don't have to listen to Joe Rogan if you don't want to. Like you have to download the friggin' app and listen to him. Don't download the app, right? Like, uh, yeah, it no seems video. most people haven't listened at all either. Most of the people out crying, I've guarantee, have not listened to more than five minutes. <laughs> My favorite example of this is the Alex Jones episode that came out after the election. The almost the entire conversation was over censorship, and then within days of it being dropped, Spotify employees turn around and they're like, "We need to censor this. Like, it needs to be taken off of our platform." like perfect case study of you clearly did not listen to the conversation because the whole yeah. conversation was do not censor us and to rogan's credit spent the whole time fact checking any outlandish claim that jones would make literally would be like stop we're gonna like we're gonna fact check this so that people don't get up in arms over this yeah mark and it's just one and it's just one guy's opinion and if you don't want to listen to it don't listen to it kind of a thing um you know i i uh, you know, you mentioned some of the things about religion and 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 earlier on, um, like anything, there's big misconceptions about everything. In the Bible, uh, they asked Jesus, "What is the greatest commandment out of all the commandments? What are the greatest commandments? What's the greatest one, the most important one in the entire Bible? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself." There's nothing in there about going to kill people or, kill, hey, if, if these people don't agree with you or you don't like these people. No, it was love your neighbor more than yourself, right? And so I'm, uh, the reason why I say that is uh, I believe in that. And I, uh, I'm not for like saying mean things to people. I've never one time tweeted, have fun staying poor, ever. I don't, I don't tweet that. Um, I'll tr always try to give an honest, intelligent answer if somebody asks um, because I have an intelligent answer to give. Right. Um, and so I'm not I'm not an advocate for saying mean things to people or calling people names or saying snarky things like I'm not an advocate for that. I don't think that's right. Um, but at the same time, I don't I don't think that we should take people's ability away to, 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 to say that either. But um, again, that's that wide berth kind of a thing. Right. Set the rules and then just let people kind of move within them. Yeah, I mean, what you've shared with us today, it, it's made a ton of sense to I think both of us. I hope I hope those who have been watching and listening uh, I've taken away even just one or two nuggets of the countless that you've shared with us, Mark. Uh, I could keep talking to you forever. Unfortunately, we do have another segment coming up, but anytime you want, you are welcome back and we can, we can hash anything out. Just a reminder for those just now tuning in, make sure you pop over. What was the website for Uncommunist? Oh, Uncommunist.com. Go check out the book that Mark Moss has coming out with Alex Svetsky, Uncommunist Manifesto. Be sure to buy your tickets to Bitcoin 22. Mark will be there. Svetsky will be there. Alex, myself, and our producer, Chris, is also used code YTMAG. Uh, Mark, where, where can our, our viewers uh, find you? I know you have YouTube, Twitter. Yeah. Um, so go check out that book on communist.com. Uh, otherwise, I'm on, uh, you can go to my website, onemarkmoss.com. This is the number one, and I have all my stuff linked there. But uh, yeah, I make a couple of videos a week on YouTube talking about kind of, 
they don't all look like Bitcoin videos because um, if you're if you're already a Bitcoiner, you can listen to what Bitcoin did, you know, or 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 Stefan Levera's podcast. I'm more looking at different problems. So like, hey, let's look at inflation, and then oh, Bitcoin can fix that. Like, let's look at BlackRock buying up all the single family homes. Oh, and Bitcoin fixes that, right? So I'm more looking at problems that most people can relate to. I would say I'm more of a a hunter than a farmer. So I make a couple of videos a week uh, trying to change the way you think about money on uh, on YouTube. Um, and then I have a nationally syndicated radio show and podcast. And you can just search Mark Moss uh, radio show or podcast and find that as well. Awesome. And of course, I'm, 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 I'm way too active on Twitter. Uh, I should probably not be on, <laughs> on Twitter as much. And that's just the num- number one Mark Moss as well. Make sure you give him hey. a follow. It's a great follow on Twitter. Yeah, we'll we'll shoot all your um your your links into the chat. Mark, thanks for coming. I I feel like I never have enough time to talk to guests, but I was especially interested in this conversation. It's great to listen to you. Um, would love to have you on again soon. Uh, you're welcome back anytime, man. Cool. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Take thanks, care, guys. man.